Why you want to shoehorn Italian into this? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Oh, It's because I actually haven't watched either of these movies. Um, if you're really uncomfortable from now on this podcast, I'm always looking over my shoulder about whether you've watched anything. <laughs> I got nothing from... It's a, it's a point one I gave Speed Racer, Dan. Los Espaghetti! <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Baby. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. IRL. Yeah, we are in person. Two Dan's, one basement. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how thrilled are you to be back in the studio, Dan? Why don't you tell us about it? Frankly, Dan, I am terrified. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited. Cool. I'm, uh, the dynamic feels different immediately. Yeah, it is weird to see yeah. you at IRL. Yeah, I was not used to recording this cock out of hand. Yeah, I am shocked to be wearing pants right now. Yeah, I've I been do. doing the podcast solo so far with just slippers on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full erection, slippers. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, our benevolent leader, Donald J. Trump, eradicated coronavirus. You, so we are all, we are all protected as I um, was informed by a lady on the news being interviewed from a pool party for Memorial Day. Uh, I've had enough politics for today. What about you, Dan? Um, I haven't. I do feel like, um, (laughs) you know, it's it's, it's all fun and last, but given recent circumstances, I feel like, me of all people, I do need to make us, like, you know, a comment on things that are going on. It has gotten extremely out of hand how many Italians have joined our Facebook group. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? What are we doing now? (laughs) And why? <laughs> Are you trying to start some new shit here? What the fuck is wrong with you? Can you stick to one tragedy at a time? My God, what are we? What are we upset about Italian that people? Is, that is for? my point. Okay. Is that it is a tragedy that we have Italian people in the rental zone? Too many disproportionate. I'm oh sick. I'm sick God. of hearing their opinions about the Godfather. Okay, this is Ari, the Godfather <laughs> thread. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of. I'm tired of. In my life, in general, I've had enough of discussing the Godfather with Italians. Right. So I, I just feel like if you guys could keep that in mind with what you do in the rental zone. Right. Um, yeah. Why, if you why, Italians why, could tone it the fuck down yeah. for us, that would be great. Why? Why? What did you think I was? talking about i don't i honestly dan with you i don't even know anymore it could have been like uh the new italian police mafia has moved into philly and they're sending bots into the group to like give disproportionate reviews to (laughs) (laughs) it and dr sleep i I just uh you know i just wanted to our to our italian listeners i don't have a problem with you personally (laughs) but i am happy that they took down the frank rizzo statue jesus christ Anyway, welcome to the Movie Blues Podcast. I'm Dan Lyons. <laughs> Dan, Dan, if you could manage to keep it in your pants for the next hour in terms of uh, insulting Italian people, that would at least be a start, a step in the right direction. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like unifying here. The first thing you say is I'm sick of Italian people in the rental zone. Jesus Christ. I think that would have been better for a text, honestly. <laughs> but thanks for bringing it to the show's attention. Uh, since, since that Godfather thread popped up, I've been waiting to do right. that all week. I think, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm really glad you've worked that out of your system. Um, Today on the podcast, uh, we are going to do um, the e-spooktacular dose special. Uh, last year in our season one, 
we did um, a Stephen King East Spooktacular special Uno, uh, in which we reviewed Pet Cemetery 2019, and also went back through all of Stephen King's TV and film Every adaptations one. and rated them. Uh, go back and listen to that episode now. Not that that will inform anything that we're about to do today, but um, it's just good for you to listen to more of us. Yeah, unless and then you're as a result of that, I subsequently watched it. Right. Part one. Right. So, you know, if you want a little continuity to your podcast, yeah. uh, you can throw that on and join us in the journey as yeah. we now sail towards uh, today's episode. Um, and if you want to wait till next week, we'll actually be live commentating that episode of the Movie Blues podcast. So well, that's matter. We'll release that on our Patreon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> check us out at uh, Joan Chokes on Dicks at <laughs> Patreon.com. Uh, that's our new handle. Um, it's the Movie Blues place all in one. You pay $55 a month. We send you our use side. And you can download extra content. So, and you still want me to invite her for another episode? <laughs> <laughs> I will get that woman <laughs> into my basement. <laughs> Come hell or high water. <laughs> uh, hashtag elder abuse. Um, email her from Joe and Chokes on. Email her from the Patreon. <laughs> uh, so today, Dan, uh, we are going to do what most sequels do, and that's try to pack more into the same amount of time to varying results. Yeah. Um, we are going to review two movies today instead of the classic one that we've been going at this season. Classic. Um, and I believe this is the first time we've done this since um, since uh, episode two with uh, uh, Grind. Right? No, when we handed each other DVDs, remember? Ravenous and Going the Distance. You're saying we haven't done what since then? Like, reviewed two movies at once. Yes. I think that that is correct. Going back to episode two. Huge observation. Pool, as Kevin Smith would say, uh, you're in the deep cuts, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So uh, uh, today we're going to do It, chapter two, and Dr. Sleep. Um, part one, <laughs> part one, part one through six, honestly. Yeah. Um, and um, before we get to that, uh, we are going to have a little fun. Um, as we've mentioned in the past couple episodes, we now have a Facebook group called the Movie Blues Rental Zone. Um, and uh, we like to hear from them before we do our episodes to see what other people think uh, of things. So it's not just us in an echo chamber forever hearing our own terrible opinions as they ricochet back to us, uh, confirming that we are correct in our own minds and in reality to the infinity. So thank you to the Rental Zone for offering us different opinions, and we want to share some of them today. You're saying you think I have terrible opinions sometimes. In a segment known as... Dan? Dan came up with the title about 10 minutes ago. He's going to try to remember it now. <laughs> I have no idea whatsoever. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers from the rental zone oh. uh, is, the name of, <laughs> is the name of the segment. And uh, we will be hearing from uh, some of the best and brightest that the movie Blues Rental Zone has to offer. Italians included, I think, this time. Um, let's start out <laughs> for with the last time. Let's start out. <laughs> We're going to have to redo this entire episode if we continue this. Um, There's something very funny to me about being racist to, like, the most racist group of white people there are. (laughs) Damn, please stop. (laughs) Speaking of, our first person uh, is an Italian. James Delasanti says... 
<laughs> oh god James Del Santi says Doctor Sleep made me want to go to sleep with its overly drawn out plot coupled with a silly hocus pocus parody the shootout in the woods was absolutely retarded the ending was tight <laughs> it's like a vice review <laughs> yeah um, the shootout in the woods was absolutely retarded but the ending was tight feel free to use that in your pod Done. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure what the Hocus Pocus parody line is about, but I do like that it. That there's magic in a house? Yeah, that there's magic in a house. Yeah. Oh, someone's got a funny hat on. Yeah. One so. of the female magic uh, people has a funny hat. Yeah. That's almost like a witch. Haunting on Hill House was very Hocus Pocus-like. There was um, also magic in a house. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, expect Not it. to be confused with House on Haunted Hill, which also contained magic on a house and was very much like Hocus Pocus. Not to be confused with Haunting on Hill House. <laughs> which is... Uh, anyway, thank you, James. Uh, we appreciate that, um, despite your nationality. Um... <laughs> Uh, we almost got Dan to spit out his first time for the day. It would be really funny. Why do you even drink during this podcast? You need to drink when I'm making. Here's when you need to drink. When I'm making like long-winded, actually serious points, because you know you mentally check out when I'm doing that anyway. <laughs> so you may as well use that time to hydrate yourself. Um, Corey J said, "Quote: It Chapter Two made me wish I never read my favorite book in the entire history of horror novels, so that I didn't have anything I cared about to compare it to." Wow. Jesus Christ. This dude. <laughs> so th- this dude's favorite book is It Chapter... Or is It? I mean, it, I, it, up until recently, I would say that it was probably in my top ten of books. I mean, it was very influential to me when I read it when I was younger. Um, oh. So I'm not going to knock him for that. Um, Harrison said... It, too, was the most trash piece of media I've ever consumed in my life. And I just finished 13 Reasons Why Season 4. It 1 was great. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Harrison. Um, I, I'm, I'm seeing very, uh, very middle of the road opinions here. Yeah, I'm seeing very, <laughs> very temperate reactions <laughs> in, in chapter two. Um, uh, moving on to actually a, a, a somewhat balanced one. Um, DJ. Now is DJ Italian? I don't want to say his last name Salvaggio. is Salvaggio. Yeah, for sure Italian, he, right? I, I think he's half Italian, half Puerto Rican. <laughs> this one's half for you, then, buddy. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! How did, this, how did this happen? Um, DJ said, "I thought it." Part two was a good follow-up. Very violent, especially with the kids involved. Quite disturbing. Thumbs up emoji. <laughs> Which I, <laughs> I the emoji really yeah. the knocked funny it, part tied of, it up for me at the end there. The funny part about it is that this Italian thing was really directed all at John Gramondo, who's probably not going to listen to the podcast. And who doesn't even have a comment in, <laughs> in thoughts and prayers. Um, Patty Donnelly said that It Chapter 2 was, you know, it's an Irish person for it. It's a different kind of white. You feel Patty Donnelly's in the, in the group. Patty Donnelly says, It Chapter 2 was an atrocious follow-up to a decent part one IMO. The overly cartoonized, underhumanized Pennywise was complemented by some terrible performances from the cast, truly my least favorite role I've ever seen Bill Hader in, but really kept the script so weak that there was probably no saving it. Large bummer. Watching the curry version... Large bummer. (laughs) Yeah, he's not wrong. Um, Watched the curry version soon after and was once again fulfilled by this dopest of tales. Okay. 
Well, thank you to everybody who participated in uh, the um, voices here from the uh, Hell Zone. Um, the thoughts and prayers out. I got one more. Um, <laughs> Sean Devlin said that he liked Dr. Sleep a lot. That's actually the only person who really commented about Dr. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. This is mostly about trashing Everyone was just having two. such a visceral reaction. It Everyone was just shitting on it chapter because nobody watched Dr. Sleep. I know. No it was in the theaters it. for 11 days. That's the problem there. Um, uh, he said, I liked Dr. Sleep a lot. It was faithful to the book. It, too, was all right. A little too much CGI. Well, I think there's pretty much a consensus going on, uh, at least in the rental zone, where um, it too sucks and no one saw Doctor Sleep. I saw one person. One person said they liked it too uh, much D- better than Doctor Sleep. DJ. Uh, well, DJ said he liked it. I think yeah. I think one person also said they liked it more than Doctor Sleep. Said, someone called Doctor Sleep like a snooze fest or something while yeah. praising it part two, and right. that person can. Talk, a long happy to, life. Yeah, yeah I, I wish I wish them the best because clearly their uh, mental facilities aren't giving them a leg up. Well, Dan, are you ready to tumble backwards into the e-spooktacular dose with me? Yes. All right, we're gonna get it started. So people. is this the e-spooktacular part two? It's dose because e-spooktacular oh, is from most spookies. Yeah, we're sticking at least with one language. Why well, you want to shoehorn Italian into this? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Los spooktacular. <laughs> Los Espaghetti! <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Baby. That's the whole episode, by the way. talk about it chapter two uh i guess I, one uh, chapter wasn't enough yeah there there had to be two it, chapter two because like, at the end of the first one it said chapter one yeah and you know what that means yeah chapter two coming down the pipe um <clears throat> man okay i need Wait, to get I, I need to get some, some okay, things go off, on, my, go off on. my chest okay i i think that maybe i should go first though okay go ahead so we've had this uh You've witnessed for the last few weeks me going, uh, each telling you one night I'm going to watch the movies, and then the next day you ask me, and I haven't watched the movie. And I, you're, what you're describing is the cycle of our whole podcast. Yeah, but yes. it was especially egregious this time. Because it was like six hours of content. And uh, it's because I actually haven't watched either of these movies. So, I watched every Marvel movie. <laughs> And you've just been, like, doing, like, two, three a day. Yeah, just crushing them. No, for weeks I've been doing this. Like, you were watching Black Panther on your phone. Yes. At the riots for Black Lives (laughs) Matter. That's how topical it got. Solidary. Um, As much as I wish that were true, it's not. But if it were, I would say, Dan, what did you think about Thor Ragnarok? I I thought it was, um... It was a good movie overall, but it, it was its comedic tone was a departure from the previous two. Yes, which I I didn't quite understand, but it did overall make for a better movie. Wow, did you actually watch it? No, 
Okay, no. But that is like a perfect review for it. Yeah, I read someone say that on Wikipedia. Uh, I'm going to feel really <laughs> uncomfortable from now on in this podcast. I'm always looking over my shoulder about whether you've watched anything. <laughs> it would be amazing if you eventually revealed to me, like, dude, I've watched maybe one out of three things that we're supposed to watch. I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, you were... like how I handled every essay in college. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you were asleep. I sparked notes. Was it, was it during... Was it during um, Crawl? Crawl? Yeah, you were literally asleep. So that's the kind of hard-hitting no, movie no, reviews. I fell, no, I fell asleep during Godzilla at one point in the 40 How did you fall asleep in the shaking chair? <laughs> it was lulling. It was rocking and lulling me to sleep. Am I allowed to start this episode yet? Are you done? Do you have any more, like, um, like Arnold end of Predator-style booby traps for me to wander into? I mean, I did really enjoy both of them so far. But, like, you good? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how prepared would you be right now to talk about 23 Marvel movies? I could talk about them right now. I could do it right now. And honestly, it would be fascinating. Because without any preparation, I mean... It would be really misinformed and really undercooked, and that's what we're all about here. So uh, I'm ready when you are. Yeah, I'm good. I'm um, good. <laughs> thank you for that, Dan. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, it chapter two. Um, not to bum everyone out from what we were just laughing about, but um, uh, yeah, man. Um, I was prepared to do a few things today. I thought that. Before I rewatch this film, because I want to remind you that I went and saw this movie in IMAX on like opening night. Yeah, I remember. Um, and I also remember you coming home and doing your your little review of it. Okay, and, and I'm de- deathly shocked you haven't had that like printed on a giant poster board <laughs> to drag down into here, Dan. Um, I'm actually shocked that you're not looking at your phone reciting my review back to me because I. Uh, much like in the Godzilla episode, I'm going to have to do some wandering and walking things back <laughs> uh, to a certain degree with this film. But, and, and this is a big but, um, this is not going to be one of those times where like some of the people in the rental zone were like, this is the most atrocious piece of garbage movie I've ever seen in my life. I think that if we learned anything from the first East Spooktacular, it's that there are many forms of king. There's Major King, there's Minor King, and there's Crap King. I think that all three... And it's like a Venn diagram. Yes. There, can be, s- there, there can be Crap King, that's Major King. In the center of that Venn diagram is <laughs> It Chapter 2. Um, <laughs> it, ta- it Chapter 2 exhibits the best and worst of not only every actor and filmmaker involved, but also the best and worst of Stephen King, the best and worst of horror movie making period. It's it's a film where you have to understand right off the bat that it's coming off of It Chapter One, which is the highest grossing horror film of all time. Yeah. Um this on its release was technically the longest major horror film ever released into theaters. Which is interesting because today we're also going to be talking about Doctor Sleep, which in its own way is a very long and winding movie. Um, it's kind so, of weird so that the, both of these came out in the same year. longer than Midsommar? Um, it was this longer than Midsommar? I think so. I think so. Um, and it didn't feel it. And fur- this was shit. Furthermore, um, this movie was probably released far wider than Midsommar. Um, I don't think Midsommar was in every movie theater. It, Chapter 2, surely was in every movie theater. Um, And, um... 
Yeah, I mean, I came back from the theater, uh, A, riding on the excitement from there being in It Chapter 2. I didn't really assume that that was going to be the case um, until It Chapter 1 became very successful. Yeah. Because if you remember, It Chapter 1 was a pretty controversial idea when it came out. People didn't think that they should remake it at all because A, people love the Curry version. They grew up with it, which is total garbage uh, on rewatch. When I was a kid, scared the shit out of me. I thought it was incredible. But when you watch it now, you can see all the seams of a TV made, you know, piece of shit, whatever, miniseries. Um, A lot of people fault the miniseries for the adult section, citing the adults part and especially the end with the adults as the most flawed element of the miniseries. Um, And I'm here to make a couple assertions about all of that. And I think that my assertions about that are that the reason that people thought that the adult part of it was shit, which, by the way, is why they had to do an It Part 1 and 2 in the first place, that didn't have adults. I mean, as we all know, it the book starts with the adults and fleshes out the story of the children as the adult story rolls on. Why would they cut all of the adults out of It Chapter 1? It's because they blame the miniseries for the most laughable elements potentially being the adults. I will argue that those sections are not as bad as everybody thinks they are because they are not clouded by nostalgia goggles. Um, The original It series, when it came out on TV in the 90s, had the time period for the kids in the, I think it was late 50s maybe, uh, early 60s, probably late 50s, and that's when the book took place. And anybody from that generation who watched that had all this nostalgia about, oh, the greasers, and oh, the music, and oh, the movies that are on the marquee, and, you know, a lot of the draw that people thought was so much better about the kids' sections of the miniseries are really because they're drawing on nostalgia, and because it is inherently more interesting to watch an effective story about children than it is about adults. It touches things in you that watching a regular horror movie about adults is not really going to clear into. Um, That is why I think when they did this new version, they did the 80s. Not because, oh, time has gone by and, you know, that's just when it should be, but because they know that that's what people are nostalgic for right now. And I think the success of It Chapter One is based in that field of Stranger Things and 80s rehash, Ready Player One throw up that you and I, you know, had talked about, we can't really take it anymore. We're we're not really into it anymore. Um, But I would say It Chapter One was maybe the final thing that I could have stood from 80s nostalgia. I think that's it. Beyond that, it's been done to death. I mean, between Super 8 and just all these things that have done the kids on the bicycles with the flashlights and the neighborhood. I mean, we've seen it a thousand times. So this movie, you know, wasn't going to have those elements. It wasn't going to have, like, you know, uh, new kids on the block every five minutes and, like, all these callbacks. I think it's astounding that it still does yeah. when it surely didn't need to. The fucking, the, this movie's hard and loose use with, like, anachronisms was really killing me. Like, the, right. t- the time period was so vague. Like, the exactly what you're saying. They were shoehorning in like 80s cars and shit and I was just like wait did they just like go back in timeline like what do you mean in the adult section yeah 
Oh, I didn't notice that. No. Like, there were a couple moments where I was like, they're, like, really trying to still, like... They're oh, trying, they still keep the They're trying to keep, thought? like, a feel from the previous film that, like, doesn't belong in this particular right. moment. I think that that goes to speak to a lot of what's wrong with the movie in the sense that you have uh, the kids' sections. Again, you have, like, 40% of the movie being scenes with the kids. Um, and... I don't think that... I think that's a stretch. Maybe 20%. Yeah. Um, but it was enough that the plot and structure of the movie revolved around it a bit. Yeah. Because the plot and structure of the book revolves around that dichotomy, back and forth right. and back this and forth the, and back and forth. This was the first time that they've had to try to approach that aspect of the story of the, you know, adult person walking into a room, chapter break, because it's turning into the fucking the kid reliving right. the experience. They had to convey that somehow. And I also would argue that the success of It Chapter One, whether the writer or the studio or the director stepped in, somebody stepped in and said, there needs to be more of that. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you do, but there needs to be more of that. I would argue that the kids' stuff in this movie was the least effective for me. I enjoyed watching the adults to some extent. Now, we'll go into all sorts of stuff about that, but would you agree with the assertion that I'm trying to make here in the sense that, you know, you you can't really compare the story of the kids' and the adults as two separate things. They need to flow in and, and be rectified with each other. So, like, it's almost like how we talk about, you know, Last Jedi sucks so much that only, you know, no matter what J.J. did, he still had to pull certain things out of the mud and just, like, make it happen. It, it feels the same way where, like, there were things that needed to be accomplished by this one that seemed like they only existed as a reaction to other things. Yeah. Um, and I Agreed. hate when movies have to bow down to those things. Agreed. Because I feel like the the aspects with the kids, what is off, was off-putting about it to me was just the general amount of time that was dedicated to them because I felt like it was... They were a prevalent enough force in the movie that it wasn't just, like, a flashback for the purpose of just, like, you know, moving the story along real quick. Right. But it also it was not prevalent enough that I felt they were, the kids were major characters in the story. Right. So I felt like it was just, like, any time they needed, like, scene filler, like, it was just go to something with the kids. Yeah. And in a movie that is, you know, 40 or so minutes longer yeah. than the first story, it felt to me as if the kids needed to go. I felt like the kids should have been flashes of imagery of them. Maybe if you want to express that a certain scene happened, uh, show like a very brief montage of it. Um, But what they were doing was essentially not only adding a tremendous amount of content into the movie that did not need to be there, but also a lot of that content retroactively changed things about the first movie, which also was unnecessary. Like there are plot elements such as... um, uh, uh, Richie's character being gay potentially about um, uh, the fat kid building some sort of underground clubhouse where they all apparently spent so much time in Um, now I want to introduce one important element about where I'm coming from with all this that maybe you aren't drawing from which is that I watched part one 24 hours before watching part two this time on the second watch and that exposed all kinds of things that didn't work in between the two like this is not one of those movies that like should be interstitially put together to play because it just 
was trying to accomplish so many different things with what the kids were doing this time. And, and in some ways it worked. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure when digging into it or watching the movie, you gleaned it for yourself. But what did you think about um, all the scenes with the kids in terms of the digital changes that they made to all of the kids' faces, voices, sizes, everything? Did that bother you or was that particularly noticeable to you? No. Did you know that any of that had happened? No. Okay, so this is one thing I want to, you know, kind of call out to a lot of the critics that uh, really bash this movie for using bad de-aging CGI on the kids. Um, I really didn't think that it was bad at all, and I'm sitting here with a guy who watches movie all, movies all the time who didn't even notice it. So yeah. I think that speaks a lot to the efforts they went to, but yes, um, uh I don't want to keep saying the fat kid. What is this character's name? I have no idea. Is um, the fat kid? The fat kid, um, he, he was made to be shorter, like all the characters were, um, made to be shorter, have the lines on their face kind of smooth, their voices raised to a different higher octave to sound younger. Um, the only person that I felt like it kind of wavered on was Richie because that kid is really Finn Wolfhard the actor has really grown up and like gotten very tall and his face is elongated and they kind of just like pressed his face down and scrunched him in and smoothed his cheeks out and like if you do watch it with a close enough eye you can notice that these things are happening but I thought it was pretty tastefully done um but it just goes to beg the question further of like why yeah just why did any of this need to be that way I mean you should just the expensive I mean I I didn't read the whole book I gave up on it but like there were so many aspects in the book that like were parts that I really enjoyed that they just breezed through Right. Um, just like, or shoehorned in, like, f- that, like, didn't get, but not giving them the actual attention that they need if they were going to be there at all, at the expense of, like, having all these, like, superfluous kid scenes. Right. Like, my my favorite scene, in the amount of the time that I read the book, my favorite chapter was the chapter where it goes through everyone's reaction to getting the phone call that they have to go back to Derry. Right. And it's like... Which, I mean, that, that happened in this. Yeah, but, but they fucking... went by in two They seconds. ripped through it, and, like, they skipped the two... Like, they changed the story of the two most interesting ones, which is the one who finds out, like, who has who's, like, on the airplane. I forget which one of them, but he's, like, on the airplane, just, right. like... And the flight attendant thinks he's dead because he's so fucking ghostly afraid. And then also the, the one dude who goes into the bar, because he's a famous architect, and fucking goes in and, like, has a, that conversation with uh, the bartender forever because he, like, goes in there every Sunday. He's, like, a super wealthy guy, and then he just, like, basically is, like, I'm going to kill myself. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember either of the scenes you are describing. Okay, well, they were scenes that I really enjoyed in, in the thing, and they just ch- skipped them, basically. Like, well, which is fine. Like, that's going to happen in a book that long, but, like, I just feel the thing... But then, you know, there's that, that scene that your uh, mother did such a good job of removing from the book for you as a kid yeah. with uh, when they kill the gay guy. Yes. And, like, that's a pretty profound scene in the book right. that gets all of 11 seconds in this movie. Like, you thought, you thought that that was undercooked a little bit? I thought that, like, if they were going to include that aspect, then it needs to be revisited at some point. Like, there needs to be, like... Right, like, well, what you're the whole referring purpose to in the book, in the book is book. that it's, it's showing the underlying yeah. evil of Derry, whereas here it just seems like a random scene of some fucking... Uh, dude's killing a gay guy like right well it, it's like to expose that Pennywise exists in that timeline as well like yes yeah 
Yeah, okay, I see what you're getting at. Um, I, I really liked that scene, uh, and, and that scene and a handful of other scenes in It Chapter 2 were closer to the book than anything from the first one. Yeah, agreed. Um, I just a felt, few of them. I felt that it felt totally out of place. It does. In, in and, what they did for the rest of the movie. But the rest of the movie totally is tackling so many different serious, non-serious things, as well as being laced with really questionable humor. Um, Dude, yeah. There's so many jokes in the second one. Now, again, I watched both right in a row. In the first one, the humor worked pretty well. And in the second one, for me, when I was in theaters and was all hyped up about it, it worked just fine. But, like, on a rewatch... Some of the stuff that they had Bill Hader say and do yeah. was relatively embarrassing. Yeah. You can kind of tell uh, yeah. that they didn't let him fully Bill Hader yeah. out. Um, right. Part of that is reflected in an anecdote that they've said about the movie where they came to Bill Hader and said to him, um, the writer wants you to do your Al Pacino impression in this at one point. Like, there's a really good place where we want you to do your Al Pacino thing that you do in real life. Yeah. Um, and Bill Hader came back to them and said, I'm not going to do that. And said, I am done with that. I'm trying to make a movie. Like, don't make me bring in my impressions from my stand-up. Yeah. That goose is kind of cooked. And I felt like they they wanted, like, SNL's Bill Hader. Oh, yeah. Whereas they should have wanted, like, Barry's Bill Hader. Yeah, right. Um, they kind of sent him down a path of goofiness. Now, I challenge anybody to go read the book or watch the miniseries. It's the same exact thing. Richie Traf- Trashmouth... Tozier is the character, and in the miniseries, he's so lame. Like, way lamer than Bill Hader was. Bill Hader did the best that he could with it. If there's gonna be a huge, goofy comic relief in a cosmic story about a fucking clown that eats babies, then by all means, it's gonna rub most jokes the wrong way anyway, but as it were, I mean, yeah, his the humor in his character was very off-putting at points and was not as funny as, I don't know who thought it was. There were a couple moments where I did laugh out loud. But, Same, uh, but there are some good I, gags. I was just like at the end of the day, like it is categorized as a horror film, right? And there wasn't a single moment where I felt even like the dread of a horror film. But yeah. there were several moments where I chuckled. Here's, um, here's but, the thing. Like, uh, hold on, I, while we're talking about the funny things, there is one scene that I thought was absolutely hysterical. Yeah, which is when. Um, after what I thought was one of the better scenes of the movie to begin with is I forget all the kids' names, but when he's uh, it's the kid from uh, the the docks season two of The Wire. You haven't watched The Wire, okay? The kid, the dude who ends up getting fucking stabbed in the mouth right here. You know what I'm talking about? Eddie. Okay, so Eddie, also his character name in The Wire, I believe. Um, come, it's like a flashback. Are you talking about adult Eddie? Yeah, adult. Because I've never seen him in anything. Yeah, he's from what, The Wire. What was he in? He was in The Wire and yeah. what else? No, I, I just know him from oh, The Wire. Oh, that Now, is he funny at all in The Wire? No. He's dead serious? No, he's like... Because, man, he was, he was funny. Yeah. I thought he was very, not only funny, but very representative of his character as a child. Yeah. And looked exactly like him and had just the vibe perfectly. Yeah. And I would argue that he was funnier than Bill Hader, at least in the scenes they gave him to really get weirded. So there's that scene where it's like a flashback to um, his mom is strapped to the table, his big fat mom is strapped to the table, and like that fucking creepy thing's coming at him, which I thought that was one of the more effective uh, of all the childhood flashback horror scenes. Right. Um, And I think the leper is the only thing from the first movie that was in the second movie in terms of scares or creatures, which was an interesting choice, but okay. Yeah, um, so right after that, 
um, he's he ends up in a situation where he's fighting Pennywise in one form or another, and he's I guess it's the leper or whatever. He's choking him to death, you know. Yeah. And it seems like he's really gonna win. He's really gonna win, and then the thing just vomits on him. Yeah. And for a split Cut second, it, it, it cuts to. Um, and the editing, the sound editing of that moment yeah. is so fucking funny to me where they cut off the song and shit. Right. And I was like, I don't know what movie this was meant to be in. Right. Like, but it's hysterical and should have gone in a comedy somewhere. Yeah, I mean, one of the most amazing uh, audio choices in a mainstream movie I've seen in years yeah. was them using that sound cue, which is a song that is not featured in any other part of the movie. <laughs> no. Is not featured. It's not playing on the radio when he walks into the place. And it's there's not, not a single other moment that's in slow motion in the movie. It's literally just the director and editor being like, "What would make this comedic beat even more?" funny and, yeah. and gross and bizarre <laughs> um and yeah uh, I, I do want to say that in that regard there are lots of things in this movie that were like wow you fucking went there like you didn't have to there are other options you could have chosen but you fucking went there and i appreciated the gonzo aspects of that and that approach because I, and I'm not going to whip out my way, way rated too high review of this movie originally. I th- but I, I, do, I do remember that I did refer to it as a phantasmagoria, yeah. which I think that this movie is. This movie, even more than the first one, which I felt was kind of like a haunted house ride vibe of a movie. This one was like literally a haunted house ride. Yeah, this was way This was like the Universal it. Studios presents yeah. It the Ride. Yeah, um, there's the fucking... I mean, there's literally the Hall, of mirror, yeah, the Hall of mirror scene. There's there's all these other I fairs hate, and I hate, carnivals. I hated all of that, dude. I you hated, hated all I that. I hate that whole vibe. It's I love that he ate the kid. Fucking death. Yeah, that, that was, was great. Hilarious. He fucking ate a child right on screen, yeah. and then he blew up in a huge explosion of blood. I appreciated that. Um, that was great, <laughs> and and that that's another moment, like many moments uh, that are very. Uh, interesting and well done in this movie. Um, I think that there's a scene where Pennywise is talking to a girl underneath bleachers, where finally, yes. yeah, finally she, she you has, get she has a birthmark, and he's promising her that he's going to yeah. get her birthmark. Oh, I'm taking away. Yeah, um, this poor girl. And and what's fascinating about scenes like that is that if only for both chapters one and two, the director and 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 what's interesting is like. Okay, watch the first scene of it, chapter one, where Georgie is talking to Pennywise in the sewer. Yep. Pennywise is exactly how Pennywise should be, where he is a clown that draws you in under the supposition that he's not very dangerous. Right. He doesn't come out with claws and crab legs right. and, and giant teeth <laughs> right. and yeah. 14 eyes. Yeah. He he ostensibly is a clown. And, and it, to a child, a clown isn't really a threatening thing because this is a world where not everybody's seen it 40 times. Right. Um, so, uh, that version of Pennywise from It Chapter 1 was actually the final scene that Bill Skarsgård, who played Pennywise, shot for the movie, which he said in an interview that that scene represented him understanding the character at its best, and that's how he thought he should have been playing him throughout, and that was the culmination of all of his effort. And I think that there's a couple scenes of that again in this movie, because I prefer the Pennywise who talks and says weird things 
than the one who t- morphs into a fucking monster right. and, and starts biting your head off. Oh. Um, and this movie had a bunch of that. Now, granted, how long is this movie? Two hours and 43 minutes? This movie is, is exactly three hours there long. There's seven minutes of dialogue from Pennywise in this movie, which I think is fucking criminal because I think that in the book and in the miniseries and... You know, whether it was Curry or just Stephen King's writing, like, it spoke quite a bit and had a lot to say and had a lot of tricks that he played verbally with people. Because here's here's the worst, like, one of the biggest crimes of both It Chapter 1 and 2, that when you make the clown this evil demonic entity who can, you know, bite your head off and rip your arms off, then all these interactions the kids have with the clown, you're left wondering why the clown just can't kill them. Right. There are so many scenes in the first and second one where, oh, Bill just runs up his stairs and then the door shuts and then, oh, it can't get him. Right. Or, oh, um, just the fat kid runs out of the library and, oh, the teacher showed up and now he's gone. Whereas in... Well, because it, because he, Pennywise doesn't get seen by adults unless it's a kid that he tortured as a kid. That's not true at all. I mean, look at the first scene from it, chapter two. He kills a gay guy who's never seen him before. He's a full-grown adult. There's nothing to do with it. Oh, yeah, he does kill that guy. Um, And and, uh, a lot of it just has to do with how it wants to present himself to you. Um, When the losers in the book are adults, it isn't really always a clown either. I mean, like, it is a clown because he feeds on children's fear in their bodies or whatever the most, like Jeffrey Epstein and um, and um, <laughs> um, it's just a matter of like, um, when you make the clown seem like he's got these physical crazy capabilities and then he doesn't kill anyone, then he's like a non-threat, right. whereas he's at his most threatening when he's just talking and I wish that they would have just done more of that in both chapters one and two because I want to say that Bill Skarsgård was an incredibly good Pennywise, and that when he had the right lines and the right things to do and say, he was fantastic. Um, I thought he was better than Tim Curry. Tim Curry's more iconic, sure, because you were a kid when you saw it, right. but in terms of just the tenacity of performance and drawing from so many different things, I mean, essentially, Tim Curry was just Tim Curry. Other than just going like wah wah, yeah. like he, he's <laughs> yeah. pretty much yeah. still Tim Curry. Yeah. Um, Bill Skarsgård's unrecognizable as Pennywise, right. really, when you look at it. And um, I think that he deserved a better movie than yeah. Part Two. I think that he deserved, instead of glorifying the fucking kids for the entirety of the second movie, I would have taken every minute of screen time you dedicated to the little fucking kids and given it to Pennywise. There's a scene that was deleted from It Chapter 2 where it goes back to the 1600s and Pennywise is like feeding on a town and Pennywise goes to this woman's house and offers her like this crazy deal of like, if you let me have one of your children, I'll like give you eternal life or something like that. And she says, okay, and literally leaves a baby on the floor and Pennywise runs up to it and eats it. And they cut it from the movie. It was in the press screenings for the movie and some of the test screenings of the movie. They cut the entire thing for it. Um, now the director said that, oh, well, maybe we'll include that in a third part, which I don't think is going to happen now, but they were going to do a third part that explains all the origins of Pennywise and blah, blah, blah. I highly doubt after the reaction in yeah. two that we'll see that or that footage. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, they had a lot of great elements to work with and a lot of great actors. And it's kind of amazing that it didn't gel. Yeah, I can't believe that they didn't do a whole 
one hour long subplot of a dude trying to write a book on the history of dairy because that part in the book is really riveting (laughs) (laughs) as with any long form Stephen King book somebody is writing a history of the town yeah and and you must read it and it's like a hundred fucking pages and surely it's just going to be about studying in a library it's going to be about like old black miners yeah right getting killed and like getting Uh, eaten by a demon bear or like what yeah (laughs) I just wrote a Stephen King book entire pages of him (laughs) describing the font on the fucking cover of the newspaper from 1893 (laughs) that dude fuck that book by the way sorry Um, everyone it is a mess of a book and it's one of my favorite messes, but in terms of crafting it into a film, yeah, it's a mess. It Chapter 2 especially is a mess because they had to introduce the elements that really make it what it is, which is a crazy fucking hell ride of, of past and present, and yeah. and there really aren't many themes other than, like, friendship. I mean, yeah. it's, not yeah. like, right. <laughs> it's not like it is the story of, like, when you finish it, you're like, Hmm. Yeah. What a deep dive into blank. It was yeah. just like kids versus a clown in the sewers. Yeah. The message is like, don't uh, don't leave your hometown and you'll forget where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> that was like. I a, wish that that were the actual theme. Of the is, movie. I mean, the whole thing. They're like, we can't remember anything. And, and oh, I mean, they're and mean not like, to remember. Though. It's like, yeah, the farther you get from Derry, the easier the hard, easier it is to forget. It's more literal in the book. I mean, they literally have their minds wiped. Right. Um, there are things obviously we could go into for an a- an hour probably the differences between the book and the movie. I'm not really they, interested. Do you think there's a deleted scene where they all just fucking gangbang the girl? Hopefully. Cool. All right, ten out of ten. Um, <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about five a out of ten with the potential to move my score to a ten out of ten. <laughs> let's talk about a couple other elements um, uh, in the film in terms of casting. Um, who did you like? Who did you not like as the adults? Um, uh, I'll let you start off. I mean, I have a, some thoughts about it, but um, I uh, I didn't care for Bill Hader really at all for the most part. Um, when I saw which kid he was playing, I was like, that makes sense. But just the way they played his he played his character or was directed to play his character, I didn't care for. Right. Honestly, like. I don't think I liked any of them. Like, I think the... What's the girl's name? Beverly. The actress who played Beverly did a good job, I think. Okay, let's take a pause on that. Because I'm... I think that it's, it's like, a lot of these uh, people, they thought that they looked like their previous counterparts, but when you watch both movies in a row, it's really apparent that they do not. Yeah. That Beverly looks, other than her red hair, yeah, almost absolutely nothing, nothing like, yeah. like her counterpart. Yeah. And in the book and in the miniseries... Beverly is a much more maternal and important character to the gang. She's yeah. really the glue that keeps the gang together, which you feel a little bit in It Part 1, but I didn't think I felt at all no. in It. In It Part 2, Beverly was this like coy, traumatized, kind of off-put, always kind of hiding in the back of every scene, like having a vision or like yeah. a remembering something. Or Just her getting to Derry involves her like fucking... Like- beating the shit out of her fucking abusive right. husband. All that's from the book. Yeah. All that is, you know, and and a lot of what happened in this movie excited me because in the part one, you know, part one was like a, a compromise for me. Part one was, do you want to see a good movie or do you want to see a good representation of the book? And I chose for part one, good movie. Right. And I got it. Um, this one, I wanted to see a good representation of the book 
because I had seen a good It movie. And honestly, that's what this movie gave me. Um, the best parts of this movie are the things that they attempted to do to make it more similar to the book and the actual feel and structure of the book. And I can understand that to a casual moviegoer. I can understand that to a person who had only seen It Part One and maybe has never seen the movie series, that, um, the miniseries rather, right. that, um, you know, it, it's just like many Stephen King works where the closer they get to the book with the movie, sometimes is the worse the movie gets. Um, I think that's happened quite a few times with King's work, where you have to find a balance between obsessing over pleasing the fans and just making a good movie. Yeah. Um, and it's often hard to do that. Like A good example of what could have taken a lesson from that is a, a movie like Dreamcatcher, where Dreamcatcher tried to be slavishly like the book, but the book is an epic fucking mess. And so is it. So, like, the closer it is to the fucking book, the worse a movie it becomes. Yeah. Uh, especially in the, in the meantime, all they would have to do is make Pet Cemetery closer to the fucking book. Exactly! It Dude, it's always a barometer. Like, this is an interesting barometer we've discovered here where it's just like... Certain ones of his works need to be closer to the source material to be successful as, movie, as movies, and certain ones just don't. Um, yeah. Sometimes his idea is better than his execution. Sometimes the idea is what you need for a movie more than anything. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that this movie is like a zero. I can't be like, oh, this is a piece of garbage, like I hated it or anything like that. Definitely revising my score down quite a bit. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, casting for me, I think another huge issue was Bill Denborough. I don't think James McAvoy was very good in this. Um, I don't think Dude, he really I, resembled Jaden Martell in any way whatsoever. I don't think I hated him. Um, and this is so funny because you want to hear another thing that's hilarious about the two movies being connected that we're watching today, other than the fact that they are two plus hour adaptations of extremely controversial works from Stephen King. Yeah. They're both starring Irish or Scottish actors who are doing American accents. I know. And honestly, I think they both are very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just don't like it when um, certain actors try American accents, and James McAvoy's particularly particularly rough in this movie, and I just, I got nothing from him in terms of his, uh, you know, being the protagonist of the film and the person that I'm supposed to be, like, most vested in, or he really didn't carry it for me, and without him or Beverly carrying it, it was a yeah. movie that just existed kind of in parts, and spits, and fur, and, and just, like, Dude. just in moments, but the, the that whole is, is a mess, man. It, Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, the reality is, is just, like, it was fucking boring. Like, and you can't, you can't have a three hour movie. I didn't movie. think it was boring. I thought the first half was fucking, I was dragging my ass, dude. Like, I, I, I enjoyed the second half substantially more than the first half, and that's purely by comparison of me feeling more engaged by it, right. but I still didn't think it was good. Like, it was just, it was just a hodgepodge of tones. Yeah. And like, Which is your favorite, usually. Yeah, yeah, I love, yeah. I, I, well, I don't love when, like, a movie's trying to be a horror movie, but shoehorning right. jokes into, like, the peak moments of tension. But like, it's problematic, Dan, because the book is, is like that. So, like, what is, what is the ultimate message here? Just that it sucks. Like, it, the book. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I, uh, I feel that it, the book sucks. Or, like, but, like many I of feel that, works. like, some books just 
when you like, don't need to yeah. be movies, like, or you, or right. like, if they're gonna be a movie, like, you need to fucking be a fucking screenwriter and see, realize that some things don't work in the visual medium. That like, work what on if the this medium. movie had the tone of like The Outsider? What if both it's yeah, instead of right. being a whimsical fantasy horror ride, it was a more like grounded, yeah. shocking horror. Yeah, there's something to be said about how awesome that would be. Yeah, but it's not like just the basic the way that premise this director of went it. With it. It's not like the basic premise of it isn't terrifying. Like the right. opening scene of the fucking of Georgie getting eaten. Like you can start a very serious, frightening right. thing from there. Do we want? Do does the world need another evil clown horror movie? Like right. probably not. Like at that point, is there a point of doing it rather than just doing some clown horror movie? Like. Right. I don't know. I mean, in the first one, it was very effective when they go to hit Pennywise's fucking lair and you see all the bodies floating and the, they were really focusing on the fucking, you know, they all float, they all float. Uh, like, this, I just want to say the float stuff in both of these movies is not from the book and is just stupid and overblown. It just bothers me that somehow this became like the catchphrase that even in the second one they do a joke on. Right. Uh, there's a creature that comes after Bev at one point in the water that says, <laughs> what, what was the opposite line to you'll float? It was, oh, it was time to sink. Yeah, right. My God. Yeah. I mean, Jesus And also Christ. the moment with Bill Hader's character and uh, the dude from The Wire, Eddie, uh, running up to those three doors where it's like not very yeah, scary. We, we did scary, it again. Like they did the same scary. thing again. And I was just same like, exactly. dude, like, it's just like, it, it doesn't work with adults that you don't care about. Like, the thing is, like, the first movie has that classic King, like, stand by me esque camaraderie with the kids. So you want to see them, like, uh, surpass everything and overcome their obstacles as a group and that's like the fucking theme is like friendship you know that classic just vibe of nostalgic uh, like blind optimism in right. life you know yeah. then but if you're gonna separate it into two separate movies where it's the kids and the adults the adult timeline and it the adults all suck like they're all just like shitty people yeah like who like either don't remember each other for the most part, don't give a shit about... The only rational reaction I saw in this entire movie was when Bill Hader was like, fuck you guys, I'm getting out of here. We're not... We haven't been friends in 30 years. I just want to say, just in case my wife is listening to this, her criticism of It Chapter 2, you know, book be damned, was that she didn't give a shit about anything because they didn't remember anything from their childhood. And she said that that fundamentally... And this is someone who hasn't read the book or, you know, isn't obsessed with any of these things. And her opinion was that if she's going to believe that these people are friends as adults, they haven't spoken to each other in 20 plus years. It makes no sense. Right. Um, which, yeah, but I mean, and I tried to bring in the fact that, well, you know, the kids only knew each other for three months. Right. Which I think that now having watched it chapter one again, God, it just goes so fast. Like you don't believe that these kids are friends, even as kids almost, right. um, to believe that they're friends as adults with actors who are a little less committed and a little less convincing and a little more like riding on on their laurels yeah. a little bit. It just and yeah, I feel I feel all these criticisms. Some of them have great lives. Like when you get that phone call of like, oh, come back to Derry, Indiana. Like it, it, it's just like what the rational reaction is no, fuck you. I'm not leaving to fly back to this town to fight this fucking clown again or whatever it is you want me to do. Like it's it's like fuck. Like do you know how many arbitrary blood oaths I made as a kid? Like, 
Dude, we would make a fucking blood oath. Shout out anybody here who told Dan Enden that uh, when like, they shook hands with blood as children that yeah, they would do like, something. Like as if this is some ma- magical force that like because you did a blood oath 27 years earlier, you have to fucking... I have your it review up if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I was going to read it in a really sad tone. Yeah, I was going to read it in a really sad tone. It's on my phone as we speak. Should we both read it at the same time <laughs> over each other in a really sad tone and then give our GGRs? Um, sure. But I, I just, I, I don't know. This fucking, this blood oath thing, man, dude, we'd make a blood oath over, like, who gets to keep the championship belt if you win a fake wrestling match. Like, oh, oh, wait. Oh, wait, no. Never mind. That was a different one. I have my uh, my notes crossed with Doctor Sleep as well. What do you mean crossed? Like I have, I was about to read it. I was reading one of my notes. I was like, that's not for this movie. That's for the other movie. Did you... <laughs> How about we just do the first paragraph? Can we do the first paragraph? I mean, it's really long. It is long. <laughs> All right, let's just do the first paragraph. You ready? My uh, my thing reset and I lost it. Unfor- oh wait, hold on. Um and uh, fuck, you I know, fucked it I, up. It's it's really a matter of like it was just a really enjoyable movie to see in, on a huge screen. Don't don't defend. Don't while defend very what excited we're about for it. Um, should I save? This is taking it. I got it. I got it. All right. So uh, <clears throat> it chapter two, two is a veritable phantasmagoria, <laughs> a sumptuous feast of horror. Comedy, haha, <laughs> action, <laughs> you can just do this. and heart that pays proper homage to Stephen King's nigh unfilmable tome. Chapter two is more unwieldy, fantastical, and messier film than chapter one, but it's more effective and respectful to its source material than the predecessor. You know, this is literally all I actually was just saying, dude. I still agree with that completely, that it's way more of a mess and it's uh, way closer to the source material and it um, is unwieldy and fantastical. Do you um, still feel that chapter two allows uh, room for character development, properly mounted tension, and the exploration of the more mythological aspects of it himself? Yes, 100%. I think yeah. that I was more vested in some of the characters this time around because having seen the first one and having expectations about the adults, and I feel um, that they did try to do some of the fantastic elements of it, which I don't think you would have gotten to at your point uh, at which you quit reading the book, but its origin and explanation about having come from the stars and falling to the earth in a comet and all that shit, I actually do uh, like that they went into that. But again, I don't think that's effective for a horror movie. It just isn't. Those are the parts of the book that people complain about. In the book, there's a giant turtle that created the universe, and that is its sworn enemy. It's the counterbalance to it. And only using that turtle do they defeat it. Now, do I think that would work in a movie? Fuck no. (laughs) It barely works in the book. (laughs) But the, the fact that they at least tried to do certain ones of those things, yeah, I mean, I appreciated that. It's just, uh, God. Yeah, I'm just going to read one wanna, more. Can I, I just read one I, more sentence I from it? To, I bet it's the same sentence I was about to read. For me, it chapter yeah. two not only floats, it soars. Yeah, that was <laughs> what I was about to read. As, right, you, as you were just bitching about the it floats thing. No, I mean, I, 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 still, um, I still do resonate with some of the things I'm saying here. You can see that it's definitely mixed. I don't know why I rated it so high, but... Yeah, uh, you gave it chapter one an eight out of ten, and you gave chapter two a 9.5 out of ten. I'm going to revise... 
both of them now that I've seen them again, uh, not just in theaters. I'm gonna give it chapter one a 7.5 out of 10 because there were things about it this time when I watched it that were straight up embarrassing. Um, and the relation between the kids was not nearly as palpable or interesting or unique as uh, I really anticipated that it was. And people that said that It Chapter 2 was less scary than 1, I do agree with that, but like not by much. I don't think that one was particularly scary either, minus the bar mitzvah lady. That got me really yeah. good. But other than the bar mitzvah lady, I didn't think Pennywise was scary. No. Uh, I thought he, it, I was when I watch Pennywise, I'm looking at the performance, I'm listening to the dialogue. Yeah. I'm not like Ooh, there was I'm not never a moment trying to be in scared of these movies where I was yeah. found anything scary. Me neither. So to anyone saying like one was so much scarier, like you're a pussy yeah. if you thought one was scary. And at honestly, all. if I had to pick one I think two was probably scarier in moments I think that two had some grosser scarier shit in it I yeah. love the scene with the lady from and that's straight out of the book from um Beverly's uh, apartment yeah that, that and, and like okay when I saw that in theaters that was the trailer when I saw that in theaters and she came running out with yeah. like the long extended limbs and the crazy face people were cracking up at it and yeah. I was like this is maybe legitimately one of the only scary parts of either of these no, movies no I was right? cracking up at it yeah so exactly like yeah. most of the scares in any of these movies could be looked at as comical can I you mean, tell me um sorry I, yeah. I, I need some book mythology yeah um what so at one point in that house while the lady is in the other room getting nude the old lady mm -hmm. she's looking at like these old portraits okay yeah and there's uh she looks at a face that like I took to look strangely like Jack Nicholson in The Shining showing up in the in the painting at the end but no that, I mean that was Bill Skarsgård yeah you know, making the Pennywise face but without makeup on, which yeah. I guess you could say looks like a very exaggerated Jim Carrey-esque right. performance yeah. of Jack Nicholson's face. So I was face. wondering if it was that or that. No. So, yeah. Um, I do want to say, and this is the most fucking bizarrest thing in the entire world in terms of the relation between these two movies, is that somehow in this movie, a character managed to say, here's Johnny... I, dude, Whereas in I Doctor fucking, Sleep, I forgot to bring that up. the sequel to The Shining, yeah. no one said here's Johnny, yeah. dude. Why? Which is amazing. Did they that, in? <laughs> that fucking dude. Amazing. I, I, I almost like spit up fucking my drink when Time I saw. Time to float. Yeah, I was like, that's <laughs> dude. I hated that scene. That was so stupid. Time to sink. Yeah. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. Oof. Oh wait. So why did you want me to watch it? before Doctor Sleep because I wanted you to see something really bad before seeing something good so <laughs> okay, that you that's could hilarious. so that you could start by really seeing Crap King at its finest yeah. and then moving on to like m somewhere between minor and major king at its most okayish okay so you revised chapter 1 to 7.5 and what is yeah. this I'm going to give this a 6.5 okay because honestly in my mind I honestly could almost rate these movies the same because the really? things that were effective about part one also were the things I didn't like about part one in terms of it was a better movie, worse adaptation of the book by far. It okay. didn't have the adults in it. It didn't have any of the mythology of Pennywise in it. It didn't have half of the scenes that I loved from it, the book, even remotely in it. Right. Even the story of the kids was so different than the story of the kids from the novel. 
everything about it. I mean, in the novel, the kids are being attacked by the mummy, the werewolf, um, all these different, uh, a giant bird attacks um, the black kid Mike, and, and there's this crazy scene with this enormous story tall bird that's like hunting him through a factory. I mean, almost none of that showed up in that in the first one. So right. yeah, worse adaptation. Honestly, they should be rated around the same thing, but I have to take a point off because this was a fucking mess. Okay. <laughs> this was a mess and it was too long. And those are my my biggest criticisms of it are just the length and the lack of connection yeah. really with the characters. The length was purposeless. It did just didn't need to be long. It was forty minutes longer than the first one yeah. and had half the story to tell. Right. So it, it baffles me why they decided to pad it out so far other than they're coming off of you know, the highest grossing horror movie. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, once again, here we are in the Movie Blues podcast seeing a movie where the director was like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's go crazy. And you know what? Props. And I, again, I like the gonzo elements of it. So, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give it a, what did I give it part one? 7.5. Yeah. Oh, are you writing it? Write no. it live on the board. No, I haven't been able to do this. I, I will, but I have to piss so badly. If I, okay, like, all right. If, if, if you stand up, it's just going to come leaking out of your penis. Over that, I'm just going to start um, dripping. Yeah, I'm going to give it chapter one a 7.5, and I'm going to give it chapter two a 6.9. Wow. Revised. 6.9, huh? Okay. There was 60% of the movie that I enjoyed and could have been cut into a really good movie. Okay. I gave, I gave it part one... But I'm one, a huge nerd. I gave it part, part one and eight when we watched it. Okay. I don't know what I would give it on second viewing. Fair. This, I give like a four. Fair. I like was miserable for the first hour and a half, and the second <laughs> hour and a half, I was like not entertained, but I laughed a couple times, and like, <laughs> like I thought... Pennywise looked cool and like some of the CGI some of the CGI was so good while some was just so fucking horrible which was just so strange to me mm -hmm. um, and I just felt no stakes whatsoever because like Rachel said like I don't care about these characters or their relationship to each other so then at the end I didn't buy fucking Bill Hader being so devastated about Eddie's death that he's just like fucking he was gay for him that was the plot twist he was gay for him was he? Oh, well. Wait, you didn't get the whole plot that Richie was gay, and then he was writing him and Eddie in a heart. I th <laughs> on the fence. You no. just like clocked I totally out of that. No, I thought they were just like super bros, so we would put their name. On the <laughs> oh my god, I can see what your friendships were like when you were a kid. How about the scene where it, uh, he's hitting on a boy as a child at the arcade, and then Pennywise is like, "I know your secret." No? Oh, yeah, I didn't put that. I wow, just, Jesus, yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Um, that was one change from the book, and I just want to say one more thing about changes from the book. The worst element of this movie, honestly, I could knock five points off of it now that I'm thinking of it. It's making me so mad. <laughs> they, at the end of this movie, make it so that Stanley Uris killed himself to unite everyone to come oh, back, yeah. which is a change from the book. In the book, he's simply so scared about returning to yeah. a place where he was haunted by a clown that lived in a sewer yeah, that he killed, killed himself. himself immediately. Great plot point in the book. Yeah. Great plot point. Yeah. It's what a way to scariest, kick the book off. Scariest part of that entire chapter. It's the first thing that happens yeah, in the book. Right. And you're like, whoa! Yeah, you're like, oh, it's a mom and his shit is afoot. And they deflate. Turns out he was really Book of Henrying them. Turns oh. out, yeah, he was like, <laughs> after my death, I will leave you in 
instructions to fight the clown. Yeah. How did he remember anything? Yeah. How did he know that that would work? Right. Why did he feel like he needed to do that? Why did he do that when he had a wife and potentially because a family? He, his, his argument was that he was like... He's like, you wouldn't he, have he done was it like, unless I killed myself. He, they didn't find out yeah. until after he did it. He's like, I know that I'm too much of a coward. If I was there, I'd be holding you back. And he can only be defeated as a united front. Just be the guy in the car. In the meantime, Eddie is the biggest chicken shit bus- pussy ever. And Eddie didn't and with a himself. knife in his face, goes yeah. into the sewer to fight a demon clown. Yeah. And, and you're going to tell me the Jew was even more scared than that? <laughs> the fucking Jew? You're going to lay this on us yeah. again? Well, that's, you know, he had his bar mitzvah, he had a nervous breakdown. Oh, so my God. Oh, my God. That retcon scene. Oh, my God. All right. I give me a chapter two of zero. Now that I'm thinking about all this. That was so stupid, too. Dude, imagine if you ever went to a bar mitzvah in the middle of it, the guy just took the mic from the rabbi and starts walking that around. That was amazing, like, though. He's and doing a stand-up set. And you would react just like Richie, like, who stands like, up yeah. and like, yeah! <laughs> so, maybe a point up back on my score for that scene. That was an amazing scene. Dude, this movie was... Garbage. It was crazy. A mess. Yeah, it was a mess. It was three different movies. It was like five different. None movies. of which were good. No, none of them. None of them worked. And but, none uh, of <laughs> none of them had. But any, I enjoyed it. I did, dude. I, I still I, enjoy it, I and I will it. gladly watch it. Maybe one more time, like two or three years from now. There is no chance I ever watch this again. I do I see a chance I watch the first one again. <laughs> all right. All right. I think we've talked about right. it enough. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a leak. Dan's gonna take a leak. I'm gonna go write the scores on the board. I want to write the scores on the board. Okay, all right, I'm going to let Dan write the scores on the board. Oh, man, what's the scores? You gave this a 6.9. 6.9. 69, nice. I can't believe you gave this a 6.9. Yeah, well, does that feel better than a 9.5? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, while Dan's writing the score on the board here, uh, I wanted to just nail home one more thing that we forgot to talk about in our discussion of uh, It Chapter 2, because there's so much to discuss about it. Um... The end of the movie. The end of the movie, uh, which has changed very significantly from the book, uh, they battle it down in this, like, lair where he originally landed, and they end up just, like, verbally disparaging him until he shrinks into a baby and dies. Um, yeah, that's how they defeat this, uh, which we've now, we're now five and a half hours into the saga of how they're going to defeat this clown. Which they've already defeated, like, multiple times. <laughs> um, and I, I think what sucks about that ending for me and what did not work about that ending is that it is essentially a story about bullying um, in its many various forms, especially the book, is about what it's like to be bullied. I know that in these movies, they're always like, we're the losers, but it really doesn't mean much because they're all relatively good-looking, like, right. kind of cool kids. Like, right. They're not, like, in the book... And, like... And, like Go ahead. The one, the attractive girl hangs out with them. So how bad could they be losers? Right, exactly. I was about to say the hot girl, but she's like (laughs) thirteen. Nice. (laughs) Just fell into a little pedo trap there. Um, (laughs) um, So yeah, I mean, it's a story that's fundamentally about bullying. So why do the losers kill it by verbally bullying him to death? Um, I get that it's like maybe cathartic, but it's also really fucking ironic and hypocritical yeah. and mean. The, the ultimate <laughs> message of this movie is about the cycle of abuse. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's like, well, you know, you can't deal with your abuse. Just, just put it off onto yeah. something else. And also, and, like this thing that's a, a centuries-old creature or whatever the fuck it is, like it gets defeated by them essentially being like, "You're a clown." 
you're a clown. <laughs> it's like, I know. Why wouldn't he be like, yeah, no fucking shit, I'm a clown. Look, look, I'm wearing, I'm dressed, I'm, that's my whole vibe. That's like, my vibe since day one, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not telling me anything I don't yeah, know. Remember when Currently, I, I'm a giant CGI spider clown. Yeah. Like, I'm full in on the vibe and the theme. Remember that time I showed up with giant floppy shoes and a whole yeah. bunch of red balloons? Yeah, <laughs> remember how many balloons I've had to buy for this whole performance? I mean, my God. Yeah. Thanks for reminding He's like, me. like, you're a clown. You're not even that scary. Like, dude... Talk about low stakes and yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just shrivels into a baby and dies. <laughs> and the cycle of abuse rolls you off. You sure you want to give this movie a six point? Yes, I do. There's Dude, a lot. There's a lot that works for garbage it. Garbage pile. That's fair. I, I, All right. So I, eight, at this point two. in this podcast, have no reservations about liking things that I like because I think the things that you like are way worse. You think this movie's better than Speed Racer? Oh, a hundred percent. I got nothing from. It's a, it's a point one. I gave Speed Racer, Dan. You said you were going to change that. To what? A, a point two, right? Yeah. Go ahead and change it. Yeah. yeah, he's doing it. <laughs> I also speaking of bait and switches, I got Dan pretty good the other day, leading him on to believe that I was going to like have a special segment of an episode where I was going to apologize about Speed Racer. I listened to everything everybody in the rental zone said, and he was like, "Oh wow, this is like a real leaf you're turning." Is that over. what you think I was doing? Yes. I was literally yeah. sitting yeah. there counting. I'm like, no, that's how I'm like, uh, that's how I'm pitching it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that's how it happened. That's just like in my retelling of it. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. I knew that's what um, you wanted to be happening. I was and, like, Dan's uh, being so uncharacteristically <laughs> kind right now. And, and like, humility, like, full of humility. Yeah. Like, I'm like, there's zero chance of uh, Yeah, no, I changed it from point one to point two. So thank you to Sean Silva from the Rental Zone. You convinced me. Um, you guys are all very convincing. So point one to point two for Speed Racer. 100% increase. Trash. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's move on to something else. And the other thing we want to do today is talk about Dr. Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Um, Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. I said I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. In. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> Dr. Sleep, which uh, I told Dan, watch after it part two. Um, and he said, why? And I said, just just do it. And uh, and we've, you know, been going back and forth about that. Dan, what did you think I was trying to convey to you when I told you to watch um, this movie after it chapter two? That there was going to be some sort of fucking hidden Easter eggs to like, that there was like to tie together the fucking SKCU. <laughs> the, the, the Los Espectacular Universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so I was like watching no. it too, that garbage pile, so fucking intently trying to find secret You're shit. You're like, where the fuck is Ewan McGregor at in this movie? <laughs> yeah. He's gonna pop up. Yeah. 
someone's gonna be and watching then, in but Star then Wars episode. Someone one. was like, "Here's Johnny." And I was like, did Dan seriously just make me watch three hours of this movie? No. (laughs) I mean, you had to watch it either way. But, like, make me watch it through a fucking, like, uh, uh, magnifying glass. I was afraid that if you watched Doctor Sleep first, because you said to me, um, you know, The Shining is one of my favorite horror movies, or my favorite horror movie. It's also my favorite horror movie. I think it's the best movie fucking ever. Um... I think it's better than oh the book. Oh, my God. Um, Jane Walker. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> quick shout-out. Uh, we're at the hour and 30-minute mark, so that means we're at a time for a sponsor. Dan, uh, what are you drinking today at 10 or you know, 1.30 p.m.? <laughs> 7 a.m. on a Sunday. Uh, this is a nice glass of uh, Jane Walker. Jane Walker. Yeah. A ladies' beverage. Yeah. It's good. Show us on the Jane Walker bottle where your boss touched you. Wow! <laughs> An uh, SJW beverage. All right, relax. Barry Pepper. Save it. Save it for the uh, for the Fox News movie episode. Um, <coughs> we still have that in the can. We just have to release it. Is that true? No. No, um, we, we released that. So, um, yeah, uh, Doctor Sleep, I was hoping that you wouldn't watch it first because it is very, very long, and you came into it with the notion of, okay, this is going to be a sequel to The Shining, so automatically it's garbage, and I thought that you would maybe, like, become it, tired from having watched it. Is that what you it. think I came into it? Well, it? you said to me at one point through a text, you were like, it's a sequel to The Shining, like, I'm not psyched about it, like, and I took that to heart in the sense that I, as a fan of The Shining, if I wouldn't have read the book, Doctor Sleep, or had any, you know, particular chips in any basket about wanting to like it, could have probably walked into it and been like, okay, this is going to be terrible. The reason I wasn't psyched about it is because it inherently has the cards stacked against it, that there's, it's one of those things where I walked in being like, there's no way I'm going to leave this feeling satisfied in any way <laughs> okay well that's exactly what I'm trying to get at okay. and um I, I didn't think it was gonna be bad right. yeah there, there's a, it's a distinction I think the problem with my my reservations were a problem a me problem not an expectation right. of a movie problem no so that's why I tried yeah. to shift the movies around so that you would get an appreciation for maybe Dr. Sleep after having watched something that's so overblown watching something that's a little more understated yeah so, watch, so what I watched was half of it part two then I watched <laughs> he did both at the same then, time <laughs> then I watched uh, 45 minutes of Doctor Sleep then I watched an hour of Doctor Sleep then I finished Doctor Sleep and then I finished it part two I think that's how the directors of both movies intended it yeah to run that's like uh, the, the real cut of uh, The Godfather apparently as all our Italian listeners like to remind me <laughs> That. I'm not getting back into this, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I had read this book before. I was very excited when the book came out, and I really enjoyed the book. Um, really didn't think that it was ever going to be made into a movie, and it was in development hell for pretty much forever. And then um, the director of such amazing movies as Oculus um, and such amazing shows as um, The Haunting on Hill House um, decided to make it. And such non-spectacular and such movies good as things. Gerald's Game. <laughs> as Gerald's Game. Which got a huge shout-out in this movie. Um, <coughs> and... I was hoping to see what um, the director, I think his name is Mike Flanagan, could Uh do with the material, with the fact that Stephen King hates 
the Kubrick version of The Shining, which is known um, historically. And, uh, you know, would it be a sequel to that movie? Would it be a sequel to the book? Would it use Jack Nicholson and the images of Shelley Duvall, maybe de-aged with CGI? Would it cast new actors? There's a lot of questions coming into this movie. And I would argue and say that there's a lot of ways they could have fucked this up badly. Um, and under a lot of different other hands, it could have been way worse or way better. I'm not sure. But I, I think the product that was ultimately released... Now, Dan and I watched the director's cut, which I didn't do any extra research since then, but I saw the movie in theaters and then haven't seen it since and saw the director's cut. Indiscernible. Um, other than there being chapter markers... And I think that there was maybe the only thing I noticed was I think there was a scene where Ewan McGregor sees a dead kid who um, the junkie that he was sleeping with who ODs and dies, uh, her child dies. I don't think in the original theatrical cut the child was in the scene. It was just her dead. Um, other than that, indiscernible. I could not tell the difference between the two cuts whatsoever, which is pretty telling in terms of like it being an effective director's cut. Really only just it had chapter markers, which I thought were pretty unnecessary and didn't really need to be there and not really sure why this was allowed to have a director's cut after not being hacked down by a studio or anything, I don't think in particular, just being kind of like ill-received. Um, so, so I know nothing about... Movie. There, was this ill-received? I know nothing about... No one saw it. I went, it's, it's I've went. i gone so far out of Runner. my way to find out nothing about this movie. It's very similar to Blade Runner 2049 in the sense that I think it was a movie that was very competently made and did some very interesting things to further a story, but it just didn't connect with audiences because at the end of the day, there aren't millions and millions of people chomping at the bit for these things. It's really a select amount of people that want to see these kinds of things. And in 2019, I guess, people weren't ready to line up to see where things went for Danny Torrance. Right. Um, I did, but I, you know, you didn't. And, it, and you say that you love The Shining, so you didn't even go. So, like, why didn't it reach you the first time? I mean, I know you don't see a lot of theater the movies in the first the place. Part, yeah. But, like, you know, it, it's one of those things that... I was I'm, I've, I was, I was excited to watch it. We saw the trailer. I didn't know it was even a thing until we saw the trailer before Crawl. Right. And I was like... And we talked about it on the pod then. I was right. like, I don't like how heavy-handed the Shining imagery was in that trailer. Right. I'm sure we'll get to whether or not our... our uh, our uh, predictions about how that was going to be put on the movie yeah. came through. Um, yours was uh, ended up being spot on because I went back and listened to it. Um, and what what did I say about it then? That that you were quite con that you believed that Mike Flanagan had no say over the trailer, right. and the movie's called Doctor Sleep. It doesn't have Shining in the title, so they need to do something to make it clear that it's a Shining movie. Sure. And the movie itself will surely not be as heavy fisted with it. Right, and I, I, I don't think that it was particularly, um, and you have to understand that in the novel Doctor Sleep, um, The Shining um, and the Overlook Hotel is no longer there. It's been burnt to the ground. Yeah. Um, Stephen King has been obsessed with this idea that, oh, Lang novel ended in fire and Kubrick's ended in ice. Like, that is somehow an argument against it being a good adaptation. Um, so apparently Stephen King always wanted to see the Overlook burn. 
Um, that was an image that he always just loved having written. I'm not going to fault the guy. He's fucking Stephen King. Yeah. But um, he was always mad about that. So Mike Flanagan was like, I'm going to do a bunch of things in this movie. I'm going to fix the continuity of the Shining movie from Kubrick while satisfying Stephen King. Right. You know, I'm going to have the Overlook in it instead of, um, in the book, it's just a, a, a campground that's on the grounds of the Overlook. Okay. So the ghosts are kind of like more prevalent there. Um, in the book, w- sorry, which, which of these, uh, um, since I watched them in memento order, basically, right. uh, Stephen King was in one of these movies that we watched. He was in It Chapter 2 as an author with yeah. a perfect main accent. Yeah. And he was fantastic. And he goes, he's like, I don't like your endings very much about, yeah. about Bill Denbro's yeah, books, hilarious. which is hilarious. That was hilarious. He was great. That I was a great scene. Um, I forgot about that. another thing I loved about him, It right. Chapter 2. I might move It Chapter 2 to 4.1. I also want to say that in the opening scenes of It Chapter 2, when... Um, uh, Bill Denbro is on his movie set, which I really enjoyed. Was a WB movie set in a WB yeah, movie. Yeah, I saw that. That was funny. Um, the director P- Peter Bogdanovich yeah, is the one that comes that was in. Peter Bogdanovich, yeah, it was right? Peter Bogdanovich. That's so fucking funny. So that's amazing. Yeah. I thought that was great. Uh, put a huge smile on my face. It really like elated me at the beginning of that. And movie. that's a podcast alum, Peter Bogdanovich, because I reviewed one of his movies when I did my Criterion thing, I believe. Did you? Um, or one of my other times. Dude, I'm always down for Bogdanovich, during baby. During side piece, I, wa- I, was, I watched this farce, this fucking recent, this recent Bog. Bogdana farce? Yeah, a very recent Bogdana farce. Was it good? Oh, it was fire, dude. Yeah, I, you have to I, send me that wreck again. It, it starred, uh, it starred Owen Wilson. Hmm. It starred Owen Wilson and had a great cast, and, uh, Dude, classic Bogdan. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> welcome to Bogdan. This cast. movie had zero percent Bogdanovich, but um, there's plenty of it in it chapter two. Um, <laughs> I forgot all about that, dude. And um, yeah, I mean, this movie. Uh, God, what a Wait, different experience what, than it chapter what, two. I'm, I'm gonna digress again. What, what's that actress's name? It's like Imogen Poots. Imogen Poots. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. She was the star of this Bogdanovich movie. Oh, she's and, good. And this was the first time I'd been exposed to her. Isn't she the star of that Vivarium movie that both of us yes, are ignoring on our drive? That's why I downloaded it, was because I like her. I like her, but I hate Jesse Eisenberg, so yeah. I can't bring myself to hey, watch it. That's my high school high school alumni uh, classmate, Jesse Eisenberg. Well, you there. can thank him for fucking ruining Lex Luthor for yeah, all time. Oh my god, dude, what a disaster. <laughs> Superman's a god! I love, I love nothing like autistic <laughs> Lex Luthor. Um, anyway, Dan, um, what did you think of Bootscast? <laughs> What did you think of 2019's Doctor Sleep? Um, do we want to just talk about like things I like this like, or do we want to go start with GGRs? I don't even know. Because uh, I feel like we could start with GGRs. Why don't we do that? Yeah, we'll do it. You know, do it opposite. Flip right. it upside down. Okay. What are you gonna give this one, Dan? I'm giving Doctor Sleep the director's cut a nine out of ten. Whoa! I, wow! Yeah, I really. Really like wow. it. Wow! Yeah, I did not see that coming. No, I bet you didn't. I did not see that coming at all, and we're gonna have to talk about this nine out of ten. Yeah, because you know, always with the scores, you always have to flip it on its head, which is like, was this movie really like right one right. tenth from <clears throat> perfection? Maybe. Um, mm-hmm. I, oh, now I don't know what to rate this movie. I don't know. I, I like. I was between. It's like between eight eight point seven five and nine. I decided to just go for the nine because I've been being overly cynical with the scores lately. I'm going to go with an eight point five for Doctor Sleep. 
Okay, um, so, so why were you so shocked by my score? Because you're such a cynic about these things. I mean, like, look at it. Look at it on its face in terms of, like, this is a just extremely long, like, it's just not, it's just a movie that I don't know if everybody who loved The Shining is going to love. Okay. It's well, very me... different than The Shining. Right. And if you are the kind of person that's like, oh, well, I don't want to see a movie about psychic battle. That's not like what I'm in this for. Like, I'm in this for like an, a scary isolation horror movie. I'm in this for some sort of ghost tale. I'm in this for, I mean, there are elements in that uh, kind of throughout, but it really is like a very dark, like, rated R X-Men movie. <laughs> like, I felt that, for um, sure. It's, it's a movie about power and, and psychic ability that is very close to, like, scanners and movies that, like, where psychic warfare is kind of the, the main element. It's very, like, scanners, and for sure. And if you watch The Shining, your take is surely not going to be that it was a movie about psychic warfare. No. Um, so. And when Stephen King wrote the book, surely nobody thought that it was going to be a book about psychic warfare, but the book is very similar to the movie. There's very few differences. Um... The difference that actually bothered me the most is, like, what makes me a terrible movie critic in terms of, like, why I liked It Part 2 and, you know, why, whatever. But yeah. um, Rose the Hat in the book has... <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid as a criticism. My God. Rose the Hat in the book has a tooth that comes out, like, almost like a walrus. A long tooth that comes out of the front of her face that, okay. like, comes out under her jaw. And she literally pierces her victims with this tooth and then they suck the steam out of it and it makes it very like vampiric yeah, almost yeah. and very unsettling and they were already, they describe they it. already have a vampiric vibe so like there is a part of me that was watching this entire movie waiting for it yeah. and was like oh my god when that fucking tooth comes out everyone's gonna lose it like her mouth is gonna open up really big yeah. and like all of a sudden everyone's gonna be like oh my god oh my god I'm watching this two hour 45 didn't, minute movie looking for a walrus tooth that just did not come <laughs> um, and something left me like really blue balled about that well, um, which is not fair as a criticism at all for you Tusk is on Prime. I know. <laughs> I saw that. I almost rewatched it. <laughs> um, um, I want to. I want to. So. So Dan, nine point That's yeah. like one of the highest ratings I think you've ever given a movie on the podcast. Yeah, I want to. I want to explain why. What did you give Speed Racer? What did I give Speed Racer? An eight point seven five. Was that right? I can't uh, remember. I give that an eight point seven five. Wow, something's better than Speed Racer. I'm gonna have to hear your explanation. Right. Go ahead, buddy. So, <clears throat> my whole thing, what we just talked about was that I didn't want to go into a movie that's just fucking leaning, resting on the laurels of The Shining. Sure. Like, that movie's already been done. Like, Kubrick is what got me into film to begin with. Like, I hold Same. all of his work in such high regard that I just don't want to see Mike Flanagan, who I very much respect as a director, going and trying, trying to be him when... After watching Hill House, I was like, this is probably a dude who, if given the freedom to do so, can pay homage to the vibe of the film while what my hope is, without knowing the plot of the thing at all, because I never read the book, is that it's its own thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to go see the sh like, Danny Torrance runs around a hotel dealing with the same shit sure. for two hours and yeah. then runs through a corn maze. Like, I don't need right. it. Like, so you're saying you think that this movie retained the feeling of The Shining without having to be about Danny Torrance running around a hotel. I think it, in several moments, retained the feeling of the original Shining, the way it paid homage, the way they had the the actress play Shelley Duvall's character, 
um, while and recreate shots and flashbacks rather yeah. than just cutting back to the original film. What Dan is referring to is that in this film, you know, to answer the question of the digital de aging or what they were going to do, they hired all different actors, including the kid from ET who plays Jack Nicholson. Um, to play uh, the cast members from The Shining. And that guy's in everything this guy yeah. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the dad in Hill House. Yeah, um, and he's he's also in Gerald's Game. And, uh, I, you know, if you want to talk he's, about that... He's, he's the dad who molests or jerks off with the... I don't remember him being in Gerald's Game. So she, the woman tied to the thing, yeah. she has the flashback to her father... Like masturbating with, with her at all. with her on his lap. Oh as Jesus a kid. Christ, and man! He, he's the father. Oh man, that's awful. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, the bit. whole the whole thing is that the whole theme of the whole thing is that she's overcoming her dad's fucking sexual abuse of her. Um, I uh, I varied on how I felt about these recreations. Um, I loved it. Shelley Duvall's character was like one of the most spot on. It was unbelievable. Bizarre translations Bro. of a character and an actor to another character. It was and another the shot actor. of her. The shot of her fucking scared with the, like, with the axe like, yeah, identical yes yeah. it was incredible like, yeah. and I said to Kat I was like you know that wasn't a shot from the original movie right right she was just like this is so fucking cool like, and even like when she uh, loses track of Danny in one scene you hear her go Danny I know I know Danny dude, where are you dude it, it was, was like whoa yeah. that's creepy dude and I gave me chills to see that I really dug that guy's fucking Nicholson impression like, that's where I fall off did really yeah I felt it I was did like, not I think that when they shot him from head on and yeah. he gave the look. He was good, but they introduced him. In, I know this is so specific. It was profile. They introduced him in profile, yeah. which that actor simply does not look like Jack Nicholson in profile. They had him shave his head and gave him Jack Nicholson's receding hairline. I think it also had some CGI fucking. I don't think so. I think so for the side looks, dude. But his side profile and his voice were both like a little too off that it started to cause like a dissonance in my brain that I felt uncomfortable. Now, when they showed him shambling around the hotel with the axe in his hands, that was spot on. Yeah. But when he was talking to Ewan McGregor and, you know, they went, gotta give him props. They went all out there. Like, we're going to do five minutes of fucking dialogue yeah. with a guy who's guy playing had, one of the most iconic. That guy iconic. had an impossible task as yeah. an actor, and I think he did the absolute best job he could possibly do. I agree. I just, it created dissonance. And when we're talking about, like, when we saw the trailer and we were like, oh my God, is this just going to be, like, them aping The Shining? Yeah. I didn't feel much of any of that until, obviously, the last 15 minutes. Right. But most specifically... When he's talking to Jack Nicholson, and I, I just had to tell myself, that's not, just let it. Yeah. Whereas no other part in the movie did I have to tell myself, okay, just let it ride. Like, right. fill in the gaps. You know what you're watching. Right. Fill in the fucking gaps. Um, even the kid looked exactly like Danny without I know. being. I know. You know. None of these people looked identical. Right. But like, look at the movie. You know, it chapter two, yeah. where they had all the resources yeah. to try to find people who looked like the kids, and you know how much lazier that was. <laughs> you, can, you can just, you can tell that this movie was. <coughs> created by people <Sorry>. who hold <laughs> The Shining in high regard and right. respect it. And there were some interesting things that happened in terms of, like, they took footage from The Shining, uh, two shots in the movie. One of them, I had to look this up because I was convinced that it was true and was very happy to find that it was, in fact, a shot from The Shining. When they start to introduce the Overlook Hotel, there's, like, a tracking shot 
um, where the camera's like going over this little island, this yeah. little plateau yeah, yeah, in the yeah. middle of the water. Um, and so when I first saw that shot, I was like, okay, that's the same like exact degree yeah. and elevation of the original shot of the same exact thing. I was like, obviously this has been done digitally. They're just recreating kind of the exact camera position and movement of the helicopter shot. Um, you know, and then in looking it up came to find that they had used the same shot. They just took it, graded it day for night, yeah. digitally put snow over it. I mean, like that's cool. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Something that throws me off about this movie and just, like, throws me off about The Shining forever <laughs> is fucking Ready Player One. Like, Ready Player One really had an effect on me. Um, not the movie You're so much. You're fucking forever talking about Ready Player One. Well, I mean, it's, you know, dude, it's, like, heavily steeped in the NBCEU. I mean, there's so many elements of it that are, like, stuff that we constantly talk about in the first place. And, like, Ready Player One has a recreation of The Shining that is unbelievable um and the the imagery of the overlook and the imagery of the hedge maze and everything like i can't not think about ready player one now like when i was watching dr sleep for the second time i actually couldn't remember whether it was an image from ready player one or dr sleep where there's like a giant axe that's coming down on like the hedge maze I was like having this visual moment like when they show Rose the Hat in the hedge maze where I was like oh there's that like giant axe shot and I was like oh Jesus Christ that's from Ready Player One like I'm not saying this like to prop up Ready Player One I'm saying it because like fuck that movie for me (laughs) for playing with like my conception of The Shining as a movie because like I don't know like how uh, did you like that movie at all or I never saw it you've never seen Ready Player One no holy crap I, I haven't because... Why? Because you told me that I need to read the book, and I just haven't gotten to read the uh, book. I mean, the book is really good, but you should see the movie. I mean, it, dude, it's like... Um, I don't know, it looks it's like, like it, The Matrix. It's a lot like The Matrix meets, like, ugh, like just like uh, every video game ever yeah. meets, like, GTA. I'm going to watch like, it. I just, dude, it's like, great. It seems like the type of book that I could read in, like, a day and a half. So it is. Like, you I, should read it, like, tonight when you go home. So honestly, like, it's electric. It's, it's a really cool book to read, especially if you're, like, a dork or a gamer. It's an incredible book to read. Or, like, The Matrix. It's yeah. similar to, like, it's like if The Matrix and Avatar, like, butt-fucked each other. <laughs> That's less appealing. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, yeah, so, um, wow. I'm just, like, still kind of in a state of shock that you liked it so much. Um, I, I, dude, Cat loved it, too. Why don't we talk about things that we did not like about it? Because that's, like, what we do best on this podcast. But what elements did not really work for you, uh, in this movie? Um, I didn't like the way, the way that they kind of immediately, uh, neutered the fear factor and as far as the naked woman in the shower goes. Like, how many fucking times right. is she gonna show up? Right. It got to a point where I'm like, okay, you've beyond killed which, it. Which, like... I think that the use of the monsters from the Overlook was the worst element of the entire movie. It was egregious. Agreed. It was way too much. Um, it got to the point where they were, like, nostalgia baiting. It was like, okay, the, you know, I, I get it. I know what you're trying to go for, but, like, why not create some newer elements? Yeah. Like, why does it have to be the 12 people who we saw as ghosts in The Shining? Why? Couldn't I, it have been, like, new people 
who also died at the Overlook or from the party that. or had to be the twins. It had to be, like, it had to be I, all the characters. I didn't mind that because I felt the movie did such a good job at not doing that for the rest of it. I know, in, but in, it got in ways that The naked woman showed up no less than six that, times. That was, the, that was the worst, most egregious part to me. And also, like, I had, like, I... Just can't see you and McGregor as anyone other than you and McGregor. <laughs> that like, is what he's ruins like, this movie as a perf- perfect it, it, masterpiece like, for I, me. I what a weird casting. I don't mind him as an actor at all, but like I, there, I can't think of a time that I have ever watched a Ewan McGregor movie and been like, oh, that's that character, rather than be like, yeah. oh, that's Ewan McGregor playing that character. Character, like I can't. It, it keeps me from reaching that next level of suspension of disbelief, yeah, where I'm like same. constantly like, well, that's not Danny like, Torrance, clearly, because that's Ewan McGregor. I would say that this is like one of the most egregious miscasts of any movie that we've watched in this, this podcast. Is, yeah, bizarre. Um, I, the other choice in a line of long choices um, for Danny Torrance was um, Dan Stevens, who I think would have been fucking excellent in this movie. Uh, he's from Legion. Um, all sorts of things you probably haven't seen. He's the Beast and the Beauty and the Beast. He's in this fantastic movie called The Guest, uh, one of the best horror action movies of the past 10, 20 years. Um, he's just a great actor. Uh, he is truly versatile and really interesting and can play a dark, troubled character. Uh, he is the star of the show Legion, which is about um, uh, Professor X's son yeah. who lives his whole life in a mental hospital, which is one of the greatest season ones of really any show ever. Um and he would have been really good in this. Um, this guy's from Downton Abbey. Yeah, he is also in Downton Abbey. Um, and he has a fantastic American accent, which I think Ewan McGregor struggled with Yes. this whole movie. Yes. Um, I think that Ewan McGregor doesn't look like Danny Torrance the kid. No. I think that Ewan McGregor is not good at playing a drunk or anybody who isn't in perfect, in a perfect place in life because I mean, trans- Ewan McGregor's... Tra- spotting. Yeah, but... That's a different Ewan McGregor. Yeah. The Ewan McGregor we see now is a very polished, rich, yeah. well-kempt, probably smells like fucking Dude, eucalyptus. Honestly, I at mean, this point, I see him as Christopher Robin. I still haven't seen that movie. It's delightful. Um, I know, you've mentioned that a few times. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's, that's the exact been my wording. review each <laughs> um, But, yeah, I thought Ewan McGregor was the, really what kept this movie from being, like, iconic. I think that he really dragged it down. I didn't think he did a bad job. I didn't think that he was particularly bad at acting. I think he always gets the job done. He just seemed very, like, kind of in neutral. I didn't get a read from him like he had a very traumatic past. I didn't get a read from him like he had PTSD of any kind. If he had been played by some actor that I didn't know... Like something amazing, that I right? that just like put like in Dan Stevens, Dan like, Stevens, like put in like a real then. dark, dark type performance. Like especially in the first half where he's like a fucking drunk, and like that scene where he's like t- stealing the money from that chick with like the that was like the most unbelievable thing you and McGregor's ever done. Right, right. They had him dressed up like he was like a a conservative Republican drunk at his local bar. Like, yeah. I mean, in the book, it's like yeah, Danny Torrance has fallen so far to the point where he's doing nothing but getting in fights blacking out every single night and yeah he get he 
kicks the shit out of this guy and brings a girl home. She dies in his bed and he sees that she's dead in the morning and still leaves her and steals money out of her wallet. And and that kind of character just like doesn't scream Ewan McGregor. No. Um, <laughs> I, I prefer to see Ewan McGregor like fighting a giant robot with six arms and six lightsabers. <laughs> That's like where I think he's really best. Um, shout out to Ewan McGregor. You sucked in this movie. Um, I really wish you were someone else. But beyond that great great movie that had so many effective elements to it whether it was uh, cinematography which was pristine and had a really cool kind of kind of the color palette of this basement almost the the walls of this basement like a, a greenish like sickly hue yeah <laughs> um, there's one sequence in this movie that I think is is worthy of like some of the best movies of all time in terms of cinematography where Rose the Hat Astral projects her body oh to, my God. to yeah, spy that on her enemy. So fucking dope. And, that and shot. watching her like leave her body and fly through when the she sky comes as the back world through the clouds, the way the fucking world tilts. Yeah, oh, I mean, dude, that world. Essentially you're watching somebody like astral project their body across like uh, hundreds of miles yeah. and, and it's represented by she's in place in the middle of frame and camera and the world is spinning beneath her like a globe and it's just like so hypnotic and I almost wish that there was just more of that yeah. like that was like felt almost like from a different movie it yeah. was like holy fucking shit and then it was like I like that there was only a bit of that like it, it was, was good like, yeah it, it was, was very like, artful that there was only yeah, a bit of it yeah right because this very very easily they could have been like have, fighting CGI in the sky this, like for two hours. This like, is very easily could have turned into an X Men type movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, it could have been like two CGI cartoons flying through the yeah. sky after each other, but it was just I one. I thought a lot of the effects uh, involving the telekinetic battle battles from like where you don't know which is the real reality, where there's all these visual tricks and trickery going on. I thought a lot of those were really t- tasteful camera tricks. Right. Um, I like realistically like. If this movie starred someone other than Ewan McGregor, like I probably would have been like dumbfounded by how awesome it was. Like yeah. I, I, I loved it. I loved the vibe of it. I loved it. It did such a good job of paying homage to the visual style of the first film, while at, without being like heavy-handed on it constantly. Right. Like you know, it's like if they're showing like all those fucking slow fades, which are like what I hate about all Kubrick movies, but especially The Shining. Like, I just hate fades as a transition in general. They only did it, like, once or twice. In, in this one? No, yeah. they did it quite a few times. Did they? Yeah. I'd, I'd I saw say, some real I'd say at least, egregious ones. I'd say at least, like, seven fades. They also did some stupid shit in this movie, I'm not gonna lie. Like, there was a moment in which... Uh, uh, Ewan McGregor meets somebody at AA um, who he then uh, meets at his office the next day and for no reason at all whatsoever this guy's office is a note for note item for item recreation of the office in The Shining that uh, Jack Nicholson interviews in the first few scenes with oh my down God, to the American right. flag in that. the cup literally everything on the walls are the same it's it just like what like that yeah. made no uh, uh, that was a moment where I was like what are we do, why are we doing yeah. this? What? Because it's not even the same character. It's not even the same nah, place. It's just a subtle reference. Like that was in Colorado. Yeah. Like this takes place. God, like in I Maine. really liked. I really liked how every time 
they were showing to indicate that they were traveling a far distance, they would do an overhead shot of the car with the camera moving, just like the intro yeah. to The Shining. Like, they, like, they got to a point where, like, they almost did too much of it. Almost. Uh, with almost every element, especially the monsters, which almost got to too far. But, like, I would say there's a good counterbalance to everything that sucked about this movie in, in those senses. Like, Ewan McGregor sucked, but, like, the counterbalance to that was that you had, A, a fantastic child performance in The Girl Who Played yeah, Abra. Yeah, she, she was great, um, dude. And also Rebecca Ferguson, who is so fucking good in every movie I see her in, but she hasn't really been given, like, the full shot yet, but she was Rose the Hat, and I thought she was fantastic. Yeah. Because her portrayal of Rose the Hat is so different than the book's version. The book's version's more, like, voodoo-ish. I think she is mixed race in the book. Okay. And she is a very different vibe of more of, like, a priestess, witch type of, like... Uh, vibe. This was very much more like ancient vampire, like traveling, wandering, soul stealing, yeah, like, like genius like mastermind. Like, um, and she was very enigmatic and did a lot of smiling and a lot of the way that she like got pleasure out of seeing other people's yeah, psychic power and yeah. and the sexual pleasure yeah, derived yeah, by by sucking on other people's cosmic powers. I mean, it was just like good good performance from an actress who's good in other shit but it hasn't been given like you know the full ride yet but like in terms of like the antagonist from this movie versus Pennywise from It Chapter 2 like (laughs) this is more more memorable and more tempered and And more interesting the violence in this movie was very good and tasteful but I, I, I will say Mike Flanagan has revealed himself to be he is to hands he being likes ro- them hands ro- up. grotesquely ripped apart what Quentin Tarantino is to feet. He likes ripping them hands. Yeah. <laughs> There's a hand rip in this movie that was almost as bad as Gerald's Game, but Gerald's Game still is the most gross I'd say ever. It's a, a third as gross as the one in Gerald's Game, Gerald's but it was game the same was out vibe. Of fucking control. But Cat was just like, oh, there's your fucking hand rip. <laughs> um, Dan, do you have anything else you want to say about Dr. Sleep? I think I've pretty much covered it. This was a good movie. Yeah, it was a really good movie. This was a fantastic um, visual audio. The music was so perfect and like, uh, uh, actually, I mean, they did again. They did egregiously ape The Shining too many times and got to a point where I was like, "Can we stop doing The Shining's music?" And then they would stop. Yeah, right. And it was like, okay, it's fine. I mean, yeah. I mean, there my biggest some... complaint is just yeah, the same thing we thought from the trailer where. Most of the movie was really, really cool, but the parts where it dipped toward The Shining, I thought was uh, kind of stupid at, at points, I, I and just a little mind. overwrought. I felt points. this movie did a good job at being aware of when it was doing that and stopping just in time. Right. And, and it did that in other ways. There was one moment where, um, it, where, where spoilers are fine, right, at this point? Like, I it's think, a yeah. year-old movie, well, almost. Well, like, I, actually, we really haven't spoiled much of this, and I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Okay. So let's not go fucking right, insane. Well, how about this? Just There's, there's going to be spoilers for the next 20 seconds. Mm, okay. okay. Skip forward now. Yeah. So um, the little girl's dad gets murdered, and uh, she goes off with Ewan McGregor to go ultimately to the hotel. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm like, something's bugging me about this. And I realized what was bugging me was that earlier, much earlier in the movie, we had been introduced to her mother as well. Her dad became a character who was like on board and knew about her powers and knew about Ewan McGregor. Then he got murdered trying to protect her. Right. And I was sitting there being like, what about the mother? She's going to fucking come home and just find a dead husband. And her kid's going to be missing. Like, are we just not going to address that? 
And I said that to Kat, and in that moment, her phone rang, and she's like, oh, it's my mom. <laughs> and, and, and she goes, and she's literally just like... I love you. It, and it, it cuts for, like, two seconds to their house. You see police everywhere, crime scene, and the yeah. mother being like, are you okay? And she's just like, I love you. Hang up. Throws the phone out the window. It was a fucking nine-second clip just to fucking get out of the way. The people who, like me, who were sitting there being like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, right. And I was like, all right, touche, Mike Flanagan. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a well-thought-out movie. It was very realistic, and um, it, uh, like many movies in MBCEU, had a fantastic spiritual Negro character, and uh, it warmed my cockles, man. It was yeah. just a great movie from a director who's given us a lot of great shit, some garbage that you and I have talked about. I mean, yeah. I don't think either of us liked Gerald's Game. We have mentioned it a few times on this no. podcast, which is perfect because it's the East Spectacular. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, no, this is, a, this is a very serious, adult, well-made film. Yeah. And I think it deserves more press and more people to see it. Uh, I think Ewan McGregor kind of fucking pissed in my yeah. soup a little bit. I also really liked the chapter breaks, too. It was fine. I don't know. I liked. I liked the feel it, was it cool. gave it was literary. me. Literary. Yeah, it felt. It felt, cool. it felt literary. Not enough. The Shining itself anymore, is a literary story. It, but the whole thing is like The Shining is like that's the they kind of pioneered that vibe with The Shining in terms of days of the week, and a lot of things that ape The Shining break things up into days of the week yeah. to ape it. Um, and so, in its own way, this was kind of like similar to The Shining by breaking it apart but yeah again wasn't egregious enough to be mad no. I didn't do the research and check and see if those were actually chapters from the book you know it's like is, is this really a 9 out of 10 like in a world where 10 is like you know fucking I don't know like Casablanca like yeah like probably not but like in terms of like what I went into it expecting sure like I did not I went in thinking that I was gonna like it chapter 2 more than I was gonna like Doctor Sleep sure or at least that's how Reasonable. I felt, like, a month ago. And then, like, I watched, like, five minutes of it, Chapter 2, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a fucking disaster. <laughs> Dude, yep. I, I tried to watch it, Chapter 2, like, a month and a half ago, and I watched five minutes. I was like, nope, not today, Junior. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. Doctor Sleep was great, man. Cool. Um, I, I, wonder, I wonder if I would feel the same if I didn't watch the director's cut. It didn't feel like three hours to me. The director's cut is negligible. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, I mean there's 30 when I saw the movie in theaters, in there. when I saw the movie in theaters, it was very long and it did not feel very long. It was very exciting to watch. Uh, I will say that in theaters, Dr. Sleep, because it was on a pretty small screen, just like a standard movie theater, did not look great. And I wasn't wowed by really any of the imagery, but on my like home TV setup in 4K, it looked fucking really slick yeah like it was a very slickly made movie that just didn't project well on like a movie theater screen it just like looked so much duller yeah and the colors are very muted but were extremely vibrant and just like feel, i feel like i'm selling a tv right now but uh yeah the it was, colors it was just, were really good it was a really good looking movie it was a really well yeah. shot movie and well acted and hopefully mike flanagan can move on from yeah like houses with ghosts he will <laughs> He'll get there, yeah. uh, but not before he releases the second yeah. season of Hill House um, right. this this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, with that, I think we can pretty much wrap up the East Spooktacular. Yeah. Um, I, I had a couple other King things that have come into my universe recently. Obviously, uh, within the course of this podcast, The Outsider is coming on, which I think is one of the finest adaptations ever of King's work. That is major motherfucking King. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, did you see that, Dan? Did you watch that? No, you did not. Well, if you want to get into some it, really good it's King... On the, it's on the list. Just haven't been watching much of everything. Uh, it kind of, like most things in Stephen King world, falls off in the last third and becomes ridiculous and like a little CGI'd out and retarded. But um, that's what all of his shit does. So <laughs> I'm definitely not shocked. Um, yeah. And that was fantastic. Uh, last night, I thought I would do a little more deep diving into the Kangverse. Um, I've been getting to the point now, like, um, with our upcoming, with the order of the episodes, uh, Robert Zemeckis special, where I just, like, want to keep, like, I already watched the movies, like, a week beforehand. I got the notes. All, I'm just going to watch another one that's related. Yeah. So last night, I looked up um, Stephen King's most recent movie that he wrote, which was called A Good Marriage. Okay. Um, and uh, I watched it, and it was from only a few years ago. Um, it's about a uh, let me wait, hold on. I think I wrote, I wrote like a little summation of it. Um, yeah, a good marriage, major crap Kang, <laughs> <laughs> a naive gaslit wasp discovers her husband's a prolific serial killer. When she confronts him with the evidence, his reaction is literally like, "Let's just turn over a new page and move past all this," and then turns around in bed, kisses her goodnight, and goes to sleep. It was fucking insanity. <laughs> <laughs> and she wakes up in the morning, and he's, like, gone. And and just the fact that she wakes up next to him, like, having had that conversation where she confronts him with the evidence that he is not only a serial killer, yeah. he is the most prolific serial killer alive. Yeah. Right? Like, he's killed hundreds of girls. Yeah. And she confronts him with this information, and he's like... and. I don't know what the vibe was supposed to be in this movie, but it was so waspy and like it was like I don't know. Stephen King is like living in like a nice neighborhood these days and yeah. is like writing trash, but it was like a lifetime movie flown off the rails. It was. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not finished it. I'm an hour and ten minutes in. It's like an hour and forty minutes long. Um, I might need to make it our next East Spooktacular because it is getting to a level where it's like. I don't know if it's ever going to become a movie, but in the state that it's in, in an hour, ten minutes in, <laughs> it is such a wreckage, oh and like God. I can't even understand what what anyone or anything is supposed to mean or is going for, so that is going pretty well, and I'm really enjoying that. Uh, and that's it, man. That's nice. it for King. I mean, I feel like after 2019, when all these came out, that's like... Kang burnout. Yeah. It's kind of like Kang overload yeah. at this point. So I, uh, we're going to have to wait for the stand to finally get developed in the next year. But yeah. uh, I, I, did, I forgot to mention one of my favorite things about shots about this movie yeah. was um, when um, the, the one girl who joins the traveling carnival of fucking snake bite steam Andy. suckers. You know, I'm talking about the, the, the younger girl. Snakebite Andy. Yeah, exactly. Snakebite Andy. So, uh, she, right before her demise, she... Spoiler Yeah, yells out to, to the guy that we've become to know and love as Ewan McGregor's, like, sponsor and savior, just, like, as she's dying, says, kill yourself. And he just fucking turns the gun around and just blows his fucking brains yeah, out. Dude, when she said that, I out loud went, oh, no. And, and, and my cat did, didn't realize because she forgot she was like a speaker or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, and she was like, "What?" And I was like, "I just pointed to the screen and like I just fucking blew his brains out." What did cat think of Doctor Sleep? She loved it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel loved Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, we it looks like time. we're all in consensus. Yeah, we all think Mike Flanagan's a very talented guy. All is right in the NBCEU. Mike folks. Flanagan might be my favorite current director. I feel like. Yeah. 
quit dick riding, bro. No, can you, that's can, what they say. Now. Mike Flanagan, can you come on the podcast? Can you come on the podcast? We're gonna have Colin Trevorrow on first, but <laughs> you're second. Also, do you know Colin Trevorrow? <laughs> also, you're not Italian, are you? <laughs> Flanagan, no. Irish is cool. All right, people. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Bye. Bye.